Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by a handful of people uh, to discuss synthetic identity fraud and uh, what is happening in that space. I'm joined by Julie Conroy, who is a research director of fraud and AML at ITA Group. Uh, we also have Shai Cohen, who is a senior vice president of global fraud solutions at TransUnion. And Lee Cookman, who is a global product management director for identity proofing, again, with TransUnion. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Thank you. Better Thanks for here. having us, Nick. So, uh, folks, well, it's an interesting report, uh, interesting title as well. We, we're talking about synthetic identity fraud, uh, diabolical uh, charge-offs on the rise, and that's a fairly dramatic title. But, I mean, I'll go with Julie first, since you're the author of the report. Let's, let's talk about these diabolical charge-offs and we'll just set the stage, really, for what is happening out there and what is fueling this, this significant growth inside synthetic identity fraud. Sure, Nick. So actually, the uh, I can't take credit for the diabolical ch charge off that actually came out of one of the interviews that I conducted with uh, a, a top 10 North American bank. And, and that was their internal moniker for these things. But I, I think it's really apropos because mm -hmm. they are pretty insidious. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to find them. And even if you do find them, it can be hard to know what to do with it once you find it. Um, you know, synthetics are nothing new. It, it's, it's a topic that I have been tracking and covering during most of my 10 years here at IT Group. But we've definitely seen not only is the problem building, and I'll, I can explain what, what the perfect storm of factors is that has contributed to that, um, but we're also seeing that FI's awareness of just how bad the problem is, mm -hmm. has also been building in recent years. And so we're seeing a lot more of an appetite to you know, proactively invest in solutions that can stop this at the front door. Yeah. So let, let me just share some stats here from the research. So these are IT group stats here. So we're looking at um, 2019 through to the forecast of 2023. Um, so the chart is looking at unsecured credit synthetic identity fraud in billions. So in 2019, uh, 1.63 billion. This is a fairly steady increase over time here, but it's estimated to grow to 2.42 billion by 2023. So, well, as, as you said, Julie, I mean, just talk me through the factors that are driving where things are today and where this is going, this trajectory. So, as you know, Nick, organized crime, once they find a pattern that works, it's, you know, rinse and repeat and repeat and repeat as often as they can. And what we've seen with synthetics is they have seen that this is a highly lucrative attack vector. You know, a confluence of factors in the U.S. market made it much easier for these synthetics to really gain a foothold over the past decade. So we saw at the start of this decade... Um, at the start of the, the 2010 decade, I should say, um, the, the U.S. Social Security Administration started randomizing the issuance of Social Security numbers, thus taking a key tool that FIs were using as one of their gating mechanisms to weed out synthetics away from them. Mm. Um, we saw at the same time just this massive uptick in data breaches. And so these organized crime rings had just a huge quantity of raw materials that they could then plow back into synthetics and, and you know, building and comprising what we call the, the Frankenstein synthetic, where you've got a little bit of an identity from over here, 
a little bit of an identity from over there. You mash them all together and create you know, a new identity. And oftentimes those Frankenstein identities will include a child's social security number, which makes it uh, much more difficult to detect because there's not somebody actively seeking to get credit with that social security number for a period of time. And then at the same time, over the course of the 2010 decade, we just had this very gradual economic recovery period where lenders were loosening credits. They were more eager to compete for thin file, which a synthetic often looks like somebody that's you know, new to credit or new to country. And you know, these organized crime rings absolutely are playing a long game with these synthetics. You know, among the FIs that I interviewed, you know, it's not uncommon to see a synthetic be nurtured for 18 months, all the way up to, to four or five years building yeah. up, looking like a great prime customer, and then finally busting out. I, I can remember you telling me that a while back, and I was, I was kind of staggered by that. But it's, it's the, the methodology, I take it, hasn't changed at all in the last 12 months. I mean, they're still in it for the long haul. They're definitely in it for the long haul. And actually, the, the, the piece that I thought was interesting from some of the issuer interviews that I conducted for this research is that they're seeing them get even more patient with this. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that, you know, sometimes something like springboarding off of an existing credit account and adding an authorized user can be a red flag and and is a way that we get early detection of these things. And so we're seeing these organized crime rings just really start from scratch and just painstakingly building up credit from nothing. And it takes a little bit longer, but in that way, it can also be harder to detect. Mm. So, Julie, tell me about these diabolical charge-offs. Yeah, so the the diabolical nature of them is that many institutions don't realize that their credit write-off is actually a synthetic identity until it's too late. Hmm. And that's where, starting a couple years ago, we really saw, three years ago, really, we saw this increasing appetite among institutions to pool resources in some cases between the credit risk and the fraud risk side of the businesses to tackle this problem because credit risk groups were starting to see fundamental shifts to their collections and their delinquency curves that really were only explainable by the fact that they had a good chunk of those um, folks that they had charged off were actually synthetics. Mm. And you're never gonna be able to collect on somebody that doesn't exist. Uh, No, clearly not. so with, with that realization, a number of institutions have done some analysis of their credit write-off and have found that, you know, in some cases, 12%, 14%, 16% of the credit write-offs have a synthetic identity component. And those are actually numbers that I got from folks that I interviewed, which that they seem like crazy high numbers, Yeah. but it really speaks to the, the scope of the problem. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pass the conversation over to Shai and Lee now, actually. So, um, Shai, I mean, maybe talk to me about, I mean, clearly a lot of this is based on application fraud. Why is this such a key point of vulnerability today? Why, why are we seeing so much? Well, obviously, application fraud uh, seems to be the, the, the inroad here. But what, what's going on there? So we know in general that, you know, especially since last year, uh, as, as the world has kind of gone digital, uh, uh, an increase in, in overall digital trans- uh, transactions and, and the need to to do everything online, 
it, it's create probably you know a better opportunities for fraudsters to to kind of apply all different methods and just to build on, on julie's uh, point while we know that synthetic fraud you know will go up in in, in years to come and will become more complicated you know, we actually saw a little bit of a, of a dip, if you will, uh, just a local uh, a dip in synthetic fraud, just because, you know, fraudsters naturally going to use the, the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and so they applied, again, as, as a result of growing in digital transactions, they're applying a, a different fraudulent methods elsewhere. Uh, uh, while continue to develop the complexity of synthetic fraud. So I think, you know, we saw a little bit and also uh, at Julie's point, because FIs started to implement more sophisticated uh, uh, tools like ours in fighting, in fighting all of this. So there is maybe a local slowdown, mm -hmm. but it will get up and, and we and alike need to, 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 to be ready for that. Right. Um, so, so what's this? I mean, like, what is the silver bullet here for synthetic identity fraud? It's probably having proof of the identity, right? So maybe this is a good segue for, for Lee to step in here. So, yeah. I mean, if, if if you know to the best of your ability that the identity pertains to an actual human being, then that that is a clear counter to synthetic identity fraud. Um, so how, how are we going about that today? And, and again, what are the fraudsters doing to counter the counter yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, use the term silver bullet. I think a lot of people are constantly looking for what's that one thing that would stop it, right? The, the only way you can ensure you'll have no fraud is not to do business, honestly, right? Like all of us are in business to serve good consumers, serve customers, build profitable growth and, and revenue for uh, us and our boards and our constituency, right? And so, you know, when you know that 99 plus percent of your uh, incoming traffic are good people, you, you spend most of your attention trying to support them, right? So when you're attacking the fraud, you don't want to run too far the other direction and create these hurdles for good consumers that are going to slow them down. So I think, you know, the, the term silver bullet, there's no one thing for sure. In fact, good example with uh, in the U.S., the way synthetics work, um, a lot of them actually started using their real name and date of birth. And you say, why would that be? That's really brazen. Well, there's a lot of reasons why they're they're willing to take that risk versus the the reward. But also, one of the key factors is in in banks, in auto transactions. Um, a lot of times, what's the thing you would do if you had like one alert that said this may not be a genuine identity or there's some identity risk? The first thing you do is ask them for the driver's license, so they pull it out and show it to you. Yeah. The driver's license has name, date of birth, and address. It doesn't have the social security number. So if you can create a new version of yourself with a different social, but keep the same name and date of birth or have a believable similar one, you can still use that identity verification piece to slip past somebody and still get approved, right? To, to use credit that has been completely fabricated and manipulated. So, so there's no like one perfect solution. Definitely it's in the application of modern fraud and identity management teams to think of identity proofing in terms of how can I provide the most seamless frictionless experience for the yeah. ones I have confidence in, for those with low confidence, I'm going to use a friction right approach, right? So I'm, I'm going to add in, salt it with different types of verification steps that a, a good consumer could get through, but somebody yeah. else couldn't get through, right? I think, I mean, that, that's actually a critical point because it's, it's clearly that with this shift to remote everything, clearly banking, healthcare, everything that we do, um, 
you know, you, you don't want to make the UX so onerous from an onboarding perspective that people abandon it and find something somewhere else. I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the, the front door of a bank now. It will be a digital channel going forward is the primary channel, right? So I think that, and that's a critical point, Lee, that you, you can't make it so binary that people will will choose an easier option, which is probably a different institution because let's face it, there's a few banks to choose from out there, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I think the, the good news is there are a number of financial institutions who uh, early on, because of their scale, were primary targets for synthetic fraud. But over the last four or five years, uh, working in groups, adopting, you know, both digital and personal identity focused solutions have been able to slow the growth of synthetic fraud. Yeah. But overall, as Julie points out, you can still see the growth because what will they do? They'll quickly just flip to the next financial institution yeah. or a community bank or a regional bank or whatever, try to find someone that, that isn't prepared, right? So, mm. so there, there is hope if you apply appropriate focus and take advantage of the technology and the big data assets that are available. If you don't, then you remain the open door and you become the primary target, right? So, so from that standpoint, then, what technologies show the most promise for uh, identity verification or identity proofing going forward? Yeah, for for my two cents, and then and then uh, love to have the others weigh in as well. But uh, I truly believe it's the combination of the personal and the digital identity verification. So, as Shai pointed out, uh, you we've been in a digital transformation for well over a decade, right? Businesses yeah. trying to go online and support more digital experiences. But with government mandates due to the virus and so forth, the uh, there was a sudden turbo boost and everybody was government mandated to be digital, essentially, if you want to keep your doors open. And so a, a lot of businesses weren't prepared. So they went with the, well, there's more fraud when it's digital. Well, the actual reality is there's way more data available when you go digital, right? There's so yeah. much information you can read in that transaction to help you determine with anomaly detection, does this look fraud risky? Right. You combine that with the, identity aspects. So you use, use probabilistic predictive models that use strong, you know, strategic uh, um, predictive risk attributes. When you bring those two things together, you can see the personal identity element, what have they done in transactions with this ID, but also the digital footprint, I can look and see, does this look like a reliable connection with me? Or is it someone who's posing with this verified uh, personal ID data? So to me, it's really about bringing those two things together that gives you the, the maximum ability to uh, disrupt the, the experience for as few consumers as possible while capturing the fraud. Yeah, to, just to add on, on, on what on what Lee was saying, you know, we have so many data elements today that are available, right? I mean, if you think about, you know, identity, obviously, uh, device risk, uh, biometrical uh, risk, you know, that, you know, fraudsters behave differently than than, than uh, good actors. Uh, uh, so the the technology, the way the, the way the technology come into play here is really bring all all these data point elements uh, uh, into into a machine learning type capability and predictive analytics to get a better you know insight of a consumer into the transaction and uh, and that way you know you can you can uh, increase your fraud detection rate just because. You have better better insight uh, from all the different you know data elements of what a transaction now look like. So it's no longer just compare against uh, you know uh, social security birth date and uh, and uh, a name. Now we, we have so many more elements that we actually yeah. can control, uh, uh, and technology like machine learning uh, 
uh, uh, to, to make the model predictive and adaptive uh, will help us, you know, in this fight. Yeah. So, Julie, um, over to you. Maybe just some concluding comments there um, based on what, what, were the, what were the final recommendations of the report? Yeah, I think uh, both Lee and Shai's comments were spot on. And then the only thing I would add to that is, you know, having a good remediation plan for what you do with the synthetic once you think you found it. Yeah. Because the traditional things that you use for step up for third party fraud don't work for synthetics because they will be able to answer all the KBA questions because they've established them. Um, you, you can't send an OTP to a phone that they have because they've already established a phone in the synthetics name and they'll be able to respond to it. So it's really about putting the appropriate types of friction in place like document authentication um, or, you know, a selective call to the ECBSB program to try to resolve the synthetic and keep it off your books. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, great uh, piece of research, great findings in there. Um, and again, a fascinating space, as we say, as synthetic identities evolve, always an arms race, but it's an uh, interesting world we live in, clearly. Um, so, uh, Shai Curran, Lee Cookman of TransUnion, thank you. And of course, uh, Julie Conroy from ITA Group, thank you so much. Always great Thanks, to Nick. pick your brains. Thank you.